So tonight, we will move on as we cruise through the Bible. Now we're in the New Testament, and tonight we're in the book of Acts. I know I say this with a lot of books, but I really like Acts. It's, it's a favorite book. So much good stuff. I know that I say that about all of them, but there is. As you've, if you've been here or if you've listened to them, if you haven't been able to be here, and you've listened to them on uh, our, our audio site, um, they're, they're just, all of them, are. there's so much in them, and that's true tonight for Acts. Acts is... Uh, uh, a, a great book. I've taught it two or three times over the years, and uh, maybe in the future, Lord willing, may try to teach it again on a Wednesday night or something. Or uh, just great book, a lot, lot of great stuff in there for the New Testament church. So, what we want to see tonight as we start is we'll see the church thriving. Um, we'll go back and look at a little background as we've tried to tie in from the end of all of our gospel studies, um, where Jesus is uh, giving his. Great commission to the disciples. We'll tie that in tonight in just a moment. Uh, but we see the church thriving as it's, as it's born, so to speak. And we'll look at that tonight in chapter 2. Um, there are 28 chapters in the book of Acts. And there is not a time that I read through Acts that I don't learn something new or see something I didn't see there before. But that's true with all books of the Bible. But Acts especially, there is so much in that book. And uh, it's written by Dr. Luke. Uh, Colossians 4.14, Paul calls him Luke the beloved physician. Physician, of course, another word for doctor. And so Luke wrote this, uh, wrote this uh, book. In fact, when, when you read through the book of Acts and they're traveling from a pl one place to another and you see we in there, that's the times that Luke is with Paul. He's not with him all, on all trips, but when you see we and us in there as he's writing, he's with him at that time. So I just kind of give you a hint as you read through the book of Acts that, that's, um, that, that Luke's with him in those times. Um, okay, don't do that to me. That's not what you're supposed to do. Please don't mess up on me. You were working fine. Hmm. Okay. I have no idea what that's about. Let me hit escape and see if that ha helps. Okay, let's see. Well, I guess I'll be doing this. I don't know why it's not working. It, it was working a few minutes ago. Does anybody know about these things, how they don't work on or off? Uh-oh. Now I've sent us to Fandango, and we don't want to go to Fandango. We don't want that. Let's back up and get, get back to where we started from. Yes, I'm sure. I don't want to go to Fandango. All right, let's try this again. And maybe when I do it this time, we'll get our, um, we'll have our video going right. Nope. Does anybody know why that's doing that? I apparently bumped something. And drum roll. Ah. There we go. Here we go. So Luke, uh, the Gospel of Luke, since Luke wrote the uh, book of Acts, I just thought I'd put this in there. Luke, um, his time of writing in the book of Luke, I don't want to, I should have wrote that in a, a parenthesis or something, but anyway, in the book of Luke, he wrote that about 58 to 60 A.D. And the book of Acts, though, was written later because the events of Acts go through later than that. Um, the events take place from 33, you know, about you know the time of Jesus' crucifixion, resurrection, ascension, to 65 A.D. roughly. That number's kind of, it could be within a year or two. Uh, then the time of writing, he doesn't write until 
those events end, of course. That makes sense. So um, he, he actually writes it after the, right after the book of Acts ends. One of the important reasons for this is just a side note. Uh, we know from history about the year 70 A.D., um, Jerusalem was sacked. It was destroyed by uh, Titus at the time, who was uh, emperor of Rome, and or at least a general or whatever, and they came in and sacked Jerusalem. So there's no mention of that in the book of Acts, so we know that the events of Acts ended before that happened, or that would have certainly been included in the book of Acts. Um, so that's about the time right. Paul is martyred roughly around the time or right at the end of the book of Acts after those, and we'll see tonight at the very end um, how it ends up with Paul. So um, he was martyred roughly about the time that Luke wrote or not long before uh, Luke wrote. So it's important to understand this. It is called the Acts of the Apostles for a reason. It's not called the Doctrine of the Apostles. Understand, this is a very important truth, and this is where a lot of believers and, and the denominations get tripped up in the book of Acts. You don't form all your doctrine around the book of Acts because so much change is going on in the book of Acts. Our doctrine, of course we know that comes from the words of Jesus, but our doctrine for the New Testament church comes from Paul's writings, Peter's writings, comes from the writings of the apostles. And so uh, our doctrine uh, doesn't come from Acts because so many things are changing. It's a book of, if I can use this word the correct way to use it, it is a book of transition where things are changing. We'll see that as we go through. So the doctrine that you read about in Paul's letters is being developed during the time of the book of Acts. And he writes these in Romans, Lord willing, next week, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians. And we'll get to places in here tonight where you'll, it'll, the light will come on. Oh, now I see why it's not a book to base all our doctrine on as far as, you know, what's for the New Testament church now. Uh, preached a message a, couple, a month or two ago about the uh, last one of the spiritual gifts where I talked about the, me, the, the gifts that were, you know, not for today. They serve their time, their purpose, and are not for today. And we'll get, actually, we'll hint back at that tonight. I need to move on. In Acts, you'll have to discover, this is true from Genesis to Revelation, but you see it in Acts real plain, happening in the ministry of Jesus too. Every time the Lord does something great, our enemy opposes it in some way. We'll see cases of that tonight. We won't look at all of them, but we'll see cases of that tonight. Happened with Jesus. Remember, he's teaching or, or, or preaching or healing uh, or doing something great, you know, that he's doing and, and uh, people get saved and all that, then here come the Sadducees. Here come the Pharisees. So our enemy's going to raise up opposition. So you see it in Acts. You see it a lot in the book of Acts. The three most important questions in the book of Acts, and I wrote them out, at least the question itself, so you don't have to, is the first one's in chapter 1 and verse 6. This is where, and we'll get to this in just a moment, but this is where Jesus is talking to the apostles and he gives them the things according to the verses before that. He was on earth 40 days after his resurrection. Um, he was on earth for 40 days. The, the scripture tells us that um, in verse 1 and 2, the things he began both to do and teach. Verse 3, showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs. That's where we get that word passion. We talk about passion week, and that's what it's talking about. Being seen to them 40 days and speaking of things pertaining to the kingdom of God. 
And so in our studies in the Gospels, we talked about, you know, there's the kingdom of God, which is a spiritual kingdom. There's a, the kingdom of heaven, which is a, the, uh, ultimately it's going to be when the, um, they're in the millennial reign of Christ because it'll have to do with Israel going, getting their land back. And like we talked about Sunday morning. And so uh, they asked him a loaded question. Lord, um, they asked him, Lord, will you, at this time, will you again store, restore the kingdom to Israel? That was a very good question. Um, a lot of your writers and commentators will say they asked that because they really didn't understand the nature of the kingdom, but I don't believe that at all. And the reason I don't believe that is because they knew the kingdom was to be, you know, belong to Israel at some point. They went through a whole period of what we have in our Bible, 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings, 1st and 2nd Chronicles. They knew that there would be a kingdom. And so when he first, you know, when Jesus first came, many of them were looking, they're looking for their Messiah to deliver them. And most of them, unfortunately, weren't just thinking about spiritual delivery. They were thinking about delivering from Rome because they were under Rome's hands. So they're saying, now that you've risen from the dead, will you restore the kingdom back? Look at Jesus' answer in verse number 7. He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his power. But, verse 8, you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And he says, uh, when that happens, I want you to scatter everywhere. I want you to be witnesses for me and just take the gospel everywhere. That's what I want you to do right now. So the kingdom, he said, look, we're going to put that on the shelf right now. But until then, you go get the gospel everywhere and uh, so people can get saved. I need to move quick. Chapter 16, verse 30. Uh, these aren't in order as far as found, where they're found in Acts, but I think they're in, in importance. This is in Acts 16, 30, where Paul and Silas had been preaching, and uh, they'd cast that evil spirit out of that, that young lady, and then they were put in prison there um, on one of their missionary trips. And there, while they were uh, in prison, they'd been beaten. They were singing praises to God at midnight. There was this earthquake, and this jailer, Philippian jailer in Philippi, comes in and, and sees them in there. He's scared to death because if, a, if a, um, you know, one, even one prisoner escaped, he knew it was his life. So he says to them, he's, he's afraid. He knows there's something more than this life. And he says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? That is a great question. Very important question in the book of Acts. And then chapter 9, verse 6, when Saul, who later becomes Paul, when he gets saved in Acts chapter 9, the first thing he asks the Lord, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? That's the best question a new Christian or a Christian that's been saved a long time can ever ask the Lord, Lord, what will you have me to do? What is it that you have for me? So those are the three key important questions in the book of Acts. Now we need to move on. So last week, you don't have to turn back there. You can write the reference if you like. But last week we looked in John 21. I think most everybody here was here last week. Um, verse 15 to 19, Jesus had, had risen from the dead. And John records one more chapter than the other three. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all end with Jesus' ascension um, you know, talking about his ascension back to heaven. But before he ascended back to heaven, uh, while he was on earth, during, sometime during that 40 days, probably about a week, week and a half uh, or so later, this is probably after he appeared when Thomas, of course it had to be because chapter 20 of John records that. So sometime in that day, that 40 day span, he appears to them again. They're on the beach and they're they're they've been you know fishing all night. Couldn't catch anything. Here he comes walking towards them. Says you know cast the net on the other side. Uh, we've been fishing all night. He said just and they did and brought in that big net of fish. It almost break, uh, almost broken. So 
uh, they knew it was the Lord. And he sat down with them on the beach. And even in a glorified body, ate with them, the scripture says. Uh, you don't have to eat in a glorified body to maintain life, but you can apparently eat. And he did. He was sitting there with them uh, on the seaside. And that's when he says to Peter, Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know I love you. And he said, feed my sheep, feed my lambs. He asked him that three times. And so Peter's ministry was restored. John records that. So I don't think it's an accident that Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, that is put in that order. Because as soon as you finish the Gospel of John, you turn the page, the first disciple that does a, you know, does a whole lot at, at first whenever you uh, see the book of Acts open is Peter. So his ministry had been restored after he had denied the Lord three times. Now his ministry had been restored. Uh, we talked about that a little bit last week as we closed out John. So that's important when you get on into uh, chapter 2. In the Gospel of Luke, uh, Luke writes... Um, to uh, this man, uh, well, in Acts 1, verse 1, he says, The former treatise have I made to the O Theophilus of all that Jesus began both to do and teach. And he's referring to the Gospel of Luke that he had written. And whoever this man was, Theophilus, we talked about this when we went through the Gospel of Luke. Uh, apparently, maybe it's somebody Luke led to the Lord. I don't know. But uh, obviously, he was a believer. And um, Luke writes and mentions his name at the beginning, both of Luke and of the book of Acts. So he's referring to the first, the, the first book he wrote, the Gospel of Luke. Uh, again, chapter 1, verse 2 to 9, Jesus is on earth for 40 days after his resurrection. That, he tells us that in verse 3 and 4 there. And they ask him questions. They're assembled together. And he tells them to wait for the promise of the Father. So... And verse 8, this is the promise of the Father. Ye shall be witnesses unto me, verse 8 he says, both in Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost part of the earth. So to break down Acts, Jerusalem, uh, if, where he tells them to go to Jerusalem, Samaria, Jerusalem is mostly chapters 1 to 7 of the book of Acts. And the audience there is about 999, I mean about 99.9% Jewish, of course, because they're in Jerusalem. Then he says into Judea and Samaria, farther out from Jerusalem, the area of Judea, and then going up to Samaria. Samaria is where um, back at, way back in the Old Testament under the kings, um, when Israel uh, was in idolatry, they began to intermarry with some of the heathen. And so the Samaritans were those that were both Jew and Gentile. And so neither group liked them because they had just enough Jew in them. The Gentile didn't like them. They had just enough Gentile in them. The Jews didn't like them. So, um, but he tells them to go into Judea and Samaria. Acts chapters 8 through 10, we see them in Samaria and some places there. And then the uttermost part of the earth, and that starts in chapter 13. Now, by the time you get there, and especially by the end of Acts, most of the believers are Gentiles, most of them that believe. So see, Acts is a transitional book. It goes from mostly Jews being saved to both Jew and Gentile to mostly Gentile. Uh, again, everyone that's saved in the book of Acts make up what we're in, the New Testament church, what we call the New Testament church. So um, go to the uttermost part of the earth. And that's mostly to the Gentiles. And actually that also is where the first missionary trip begins. We'll get to that in just a moment. So chapter 2, verse 1 to 47, happy birthday church. The church is born. This is the, the time uh, on their calendar called Pentecost. Pentecost was an annual event. Uh, it happened about 50 days after Passover. Remember Jesus um, died the week of Passover 
And then the Bible says that in the book of Acts, he was around for about 40 days after his resurrection. Then he ascends into heaven. So about 10 days, a week to 10 days later, Pentecost. He told him, I want you to wait Jerusalem, tarry at Jerusalem, he said in chapter 1, until the promise of the Father. Well, what was the promise of the Father? He said that's when the Holy Spirit comes in, when the Holy Ghost comes down upon them, and there'll be witnesses unto him. So in chapter 2, verse 1, let's read a couple of verses. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all, all in one accord, one place. Pentecost happens the same time every year. It's about 50 days after um, after. Um, the, the time of the um, Passover. And so this would happen, depending on the calendar that year, uh, would have probably like late May, early June is when Pentecost is because it's about four, uh, it's 50 days after Passover. So every year on their calendar, and the interesting thing is, and this gives you a little, a little background, helps you understand what's about to happen with all these people from everywhere. There were three times in the year where uh, Jewish men, heads of their household, three feasts that they would bring people to Jerusalem. One of them was Passover. One of them was Pentecost. And so some of them, if they had relatives around, probably hung around after Passover, just stayed you know, that next month and a half and visited or did whatever or got maybe transitional work or something um, until, um, until um, the time for, for uh, Pentecost. So this was one of, the, one of the feasts where everyone was supposed to be in town. And so they came from different places. Now, remember, from the Old Testament, when it ended until now in, in the time of Jesus in the New Testament, they had scattered all over the place. Uh, many of them had scattered because of their idolatry in the Old Testament. They went into Babylon. They went into Assyria. And they were scattered everywhere. So when it says the day of Pentecost was fully come, on the calendar it was there. And people were there from everywhere. So the church is about to be born. Verse 2, suddenly there came sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled the house where they were, um, where they were sitting. So um, then uh, the, the Holy Spirit comes down. The, they're filled with the Holy Ghost. The Bible says they, these cloven tongues, like as a fire, not fire, but like as a fire, sat upon each of them. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Uh, we'll come back to this in just a moment. But here, look what it says starting in verse 5. We won't read the whole thing for time's sake, of course. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men, out of every nation under heaven. So people had come all from all over the place into Jerusalem for the feast. They didn't know what was about to happen. Uh, they probably had no idea this was about to happen, but the apostles did. And so the Holy Ghost, they're filled with the Holy Ghost. The Holy Spirit comes upon them. They speak in these other tongues, these other languages. And then verse 6 says, Now when this was noise abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded, because that every man heard them speak in his own languages. In his own language. So tongues are languages, and they were legible. They could be understood. For time's sake, we won't read it, but if you read down over the next few verses, you see where Jews came in from all these different regions, because they lived there, that was their native tongue. Now, some of them might have known Hebrew also, but that was their native tongue. So when Peter and the apostles spoke with these tongues, these languages, they heard the, they heard the word in their own language. That's a miraculous thing that the Holy Spirit did, that God did um, as the Holy Spirit came upon them. And then it says... Um, 
that they hear, verse 11, we do hear them speak in, in our tongues, their own language, the wonderful works of God. So here, uh, no matter where they were from, who they were, they were able to, to hear the message. And so the apostles spoke in these tongues, in these languages. Then Peter gets up, starting at verse 14, and going on for uh, till uh, almost the very end of the, of the chapter, uh, to cha- verse 40, he preaches the great Pentecost message, and the Bible tells us that um, in verse number 41, there were added to them about 3,000 3, souls. About 3,000 were saved right there in Jerusalem that day when they heard uh, the word. But the Bible tells us um, that the church began. Go with me to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2. It began with Jesus and the calling out of the apostles. And we'll see that in just a moment. Now, why is that not recorded in the Gospels? Why is that not? Why is what Paul's about to say here not revealed? Well, it was not revealed until the Holy Spirit revealed to Paul to write. Now, here's something to think about. There is a, there's, a, there's a view that there's some that say the church um, began um, as far as everything began actually in Acts chapter 2. In fact, some say the church doesn't begin until Paul. But we know from Scripture that even though the church was born in Acts 2, when, when the Holy Spirit came down, the church had already began to, to have its foundation before that. And so some say, well, that can't be because it wasn't reve- if it was revealed to Paul, it wasn't revealed till then, then it didn't exist. Here you go. I have something in my pocket. You have no idea what it is that's in my pocket. Is it in my pocket? I'm not tricking you. <laughs> is it in my, it's in my pocket, right? You have no idea what it is. Does that mean it's not there? No. I'm going to reveal it. It's chapstick. Need it this time of year. It's chapstick. Okay? It was in my pocket. You didn't know it, but it was there. Then I reveal it to you. That's the same, that's the same thing, way to understand, the same uh, analogy to understand the truth about the church. Look at Ephesians 2, verse 19. Now, you therefore, now, verses before that, he talks about the body, he talks about the church, so forth. But he says in verse 19, Now, therefore, you're no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints, here we go, and of the household of God. That's another term for the body of Christ, the church. Verse 20, And are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, that would be New Testament prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. So when you see the, the truth about the church, who, who the church is, then when you look in Luke, you see you know, where God call, or Jesus calls them, the twelve, and he calls them disciples, but he also calls them apostles. So when he called them out, Jesus is the cornerstone. A building has to have a cornerstone, right? So he's the cornerstone, of course, of the church. The, the apostles are the foundation, and then you build on the foundation. So the church was there. It just wasn't born yet in the sense of the Holy Spirit coming down because that's what makes the church distinct. Uh, it's not just any group of people meeting together. The distinction about the church is we're blood-bought by Christ and the Holy Spirit, we're indwelt by Him. So, um, and then Acts uh, 2, you, or excuse me, Acts 1, it talks about the apostles there. Jesus gave them uh, the commandment to stay in Jerusalem, that the Holy Spirit would come down. And then uh, chapter 2 uh, first few verses, the church is born, so to speak, when that happens. And many get saved that first day. We see tongues in chapter 2, verse 4. Tongues are only found three times 
in the book of Acts only three times. Here in chapter 2 at Pentecost, and then it's found in chapter 10 and verse 46 in Cornelius' house where there are some Jews present. And then in chapter 19, his latest chapter 19, when mostly Gentiles are being saved, in verse 6, there's another uh, case where tongues are spoken. That time is spoken by Gentiles, but here's the catch. Why were tongues spoken by Gentiles when they're a sign for the Jews? Because there were Jews present. And when you get, in fact, go with me to chapter 19. Let me, let me do this. Let me, it'd be better for me to read it and not, not try to do it all off of memories where you can see what's going on there. Chapter 19, start at verse 1. Uh, it came to pass while the apostles, um, while, while the apostles, or excuse me, while Apollos, excuse me, not the he was, uh, Apollos was in chapter 18 also, while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul having passed through the upper coast came to Ephesus finding certain disciples. So there are those that have believed and they didn't understand anything about the Holy Spirit. He asked them, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? Look at verse, 21, uh, verse 2. But we've not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. So they didn't know about what happened at Jerusalem time before. The word hadn't got out to them yet. Uh, they were baptized with John's baptism, verse 3. And then, uh, but they, they believed on Christ. They just didn't understand about the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 5. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spake with tongues and prophesied. And all the men were about 12. Verse 8. And he went into the synagogue, Jews worshiping, went to the synagogue and spake boldly for the space of three months, disputing and persuading things concerning the kingdom of God. So they were right there to synagogue, and it was to show um, the, the believing Jews that these believing Gentiles um, understood now what the Holy Spirit, uh, who he was and what he was about. And they spoke, spoke in tongues, it says there, verse 6, to show the Israel that that was certainly the case. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 22, um, says that tongues are for a sign. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 22, says that the sign is for Israel, it's for the Jews. And so that third time, uh, and the last time uh, where you see it, it was spoken by Gentiles, but it's because there were Jews present. All right, I need to move on. Now, I'm going to do a quick overview of chapters and then get into to some uh, scenic routes, a couple, a couple of those before we finish. Chapter 3, Peter and John heal a man. Right after Pentecost, right after that great sermon by Peter and numbers of people are saved and come to know the Lord and the church begins to grow and they begin to, um, to um, fellowship together and breaking of bread and all, all that they do together and, and spending time uh, as a church worshiping. Then... Um, the scripture tells us in chapter 3, the first miracle recorded, uh, which you can, I think you can call Pentecost a miracle, I, I think it is, but the first miracle recorded that is, that is done, physical miracle, was when Peter and John are at the temple, uh, they're in Jerusalem, and they heal a lame man. And um, after that, there's a great um, response for that in the city. People are jumping, you know, he, the man that got healed is jumping and praising the Lord. People got all excited about it and everything, and, and uh, great things were happening uh, because as a result of that. And then here come in chapter 4, opposition, the Sadducees. And they didn't like what was going on. They don't believe in miracles, and they didn't like what was going on. They didn't like the fact that this man, that they claimed that he had been healed and caused all this uproar. So they began to persecute the apostles. Remember where I said God does something, the Lord does something great, then there's opposition. This is the case of it right here, chapter 4. And so they're persecuted. Well, get to chapter 5, uh, and there's another place where someone... Um, um, 
I'll put healing there. That wasn't supposed to go there. That actually goes with chapter 4. But anyway, you get to chapter 5, and uh, the Scripture records these two, um, Ananias and Sapphira, how they had disobeyed God. And um, it, the Scripture goes in and talk, talks a little bit more about the, uh, the apostles, that there have been those that were saved, many that were, had been saved, verse 14 of chapter 5. And then sick folks, uh, excuse me, verse 16, that's right, sick folk were, were healed there, and those with unclean spirits. But then, verse 17, here comes a high priest. And he doesn't like things, and he's, um, he uh, begins to... Um, uh, persecute the uh, the apostles there, puts them in jail. Then there's a jailbreak. <laughs> they get out. Uh, the Lord uh, opens the door. They're they're able to get out and have a jailbreak and and go on and do um, and serve the Lord and and um, and perform miracles and go and, and preach as God told them to do. Chapter 6, we get to what we believe are probably the first deacons. Even though the word deacon is not found in this passage, it talks about men that are of honest report, men that are full of the Holy Ghost. And later on, when Paul writes about deacons, um, it's, it, it looks like it parallels much of what these men, who these men were. They were raised up to meet physical needs in the early church, needs that needed to be met, while the uh, apostles were able to do what, uh, what they needed to do. Look at verse... Um, Three, wherefore, brethren, look out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, uh, whom we may appoint over this business. Uh, notice, um, just because it's not what you call, quote, unquote, spiritual work, doesn't mean that they don't need to be honest men of wisdom and full of the Holy Spirit. They certainly do, because uh, later on, Paul writes about spiritual gifts. Some spiritual gifts are what we think of spiritual like teaching, but serving is a spiritual gift. Even though it may be something done with hands, it's still a spiritual gift. And so he says in verse 4, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and the ministry of the word. So um, there the uh, the apostles um, uh, tell them we need to find men that can take care of these needs. The widows were being neglected in ministry. And because of that, it wasn't because the apostles didn't want to do it. They just have time to do it. They were also preaching and doing what the Lord had commissioned them to do. So God raised up those men. And so we see the first deacons. Then we're introduced to a man named Stephen. Stephen in chapter 7 um, begins to get up and preach to those in Jerusalem, especially to the religious leaders. And as you often see, both in Old and New Testament, he goes through a history lesson and makes a sermon out of it. And he tells them, you have resisted. And when he says you, he's not just talking about them personally, but he said, for, for generations, we've resisted the Holy Ghost. And we've resisted what God would have to say to us. And he talks about Moses and he talks about the, um, the disobedience of, um, of some of the kings and how the idolatry and all that they went through. And so um, he tells them, you know, look, we're guilty. You have crucified your Messiah. You've crucified your Savior. And so when it comes to time to close everything up, they didn't uh, walk up to him and shake his hand. They threw stones at him. He was martyred. But look with me at the end of chapter 7. Something interesting uh, here. Verse, um, it says that he was, um, uh, when they began to take up uh, stones and throw at him, um, look at verse uh, 57, then they cried with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him one accord, verse 58, and cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul, enter Saul. That's the first mention of him. And there he is watching these others stone Stephen, martyring him. Verse 59, they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice. And 
uh, Lord, let not the sin, uh, lay not the sin of their charge. And he said this, he fell asleep, and it's not talking about uh, soul sleep. It's talking about he died, and then his, his uh, soul went to be with the Lord, but his body was dead. So, uh, dead and asleep. So, the first mention as Stephen leaves this life, there's a man named Saul that was standing there. We don't know how long Saul or how well he knew Stephen or knew about Stephen. But he stood and watched them, and he watched this man die for the cause of Christ. He watched this man who believed on this Jesus that Saul was against completely, and he was persecuting any followers of this Jesus. But when he saw something in Stephen, that had to stick with him. That had to really be something. In fact, the Scripture reveals that. Look at chapter 8. Uh, let me go ahead and uh, go to the next slide. Uh, we're going to meet. We just met Saul, actually, but we're going to see a little bit more about him here. Chapter 8, look at verse 1. And Saul was consenting unto his death. He was thinking about Stephen. He probably saw his face. Probably, uh, he probably heard every word he said. He was standing right there where their clothes were. That just was in a, a stone's throw, literally. And he's standing there. He sees everything. He hears everything as he watches this man die for his faith die for his Savior, consenting unto his death. And at that time, there was great persecution against the church, which was with Jerusalem. They were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. Remember when I had it on the board there, Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria? This is when they began to scatter. Why? Because of persecution. The Lord has to do that. You know, a lot of times if, you, um, if you've ever had the chance and pleasure at work of working with people and some of them are believers, you have fellowship together, the next thing you know, somebody either retires, they get transferred, and somebody else comes in that's not a believer. You know, it's like, Lord, why did you do that? We were having such a good fellowship. Well, he moves people around like that. And he brings new people so that people that are believers can witness to those people. Well, persecution was going on. It's like, okay, uh, God says, this is your sign. I want you to move. I told you to go from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria. Now's the time. I want you to go. So now they head out to Judea and Samaria uh, except the apostles, they remain for a little bit. Uh, and then they actually leave a little bit later. But they stay in Jerusalem for a reason. Then we're introduced, as you go on through, uh, chapter 8, to a man named Philip. He's an evangelist. He preaches to people in, in uh, uh, probably groups, I'm sure great groups, but he also talk, talks to people one-on-one and uh, gives them the gospel. The word evangelist simply means one who proclaims the good news, and that's exactly what he did. And here we see the first Gentile convert recorded, and that is an uh, Ethiopian eunuch. We don't know his name, but from picking up at verse, um, uh, let's see, it says in verse, starting around verse 25, 26 in there, that the angel of the Lord told Philip he wanted him to go south, uh, down from Jerusalem, verse 26, unto where? Gaza. We hear about that right now a lot, don't we? Gaza, which is desert. And he rose and went. Behold, a man of Ethiopia. He had a, a, he was a, a, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. He had a very important job. He was her treasurer. He kept her money. And for someone like a queen, it's probably a lot of it. So he's probably a very trusted man. He's a very honest man, probably a man of integrity. But here, somehow, he gets hold of a copy of the book of Isaiah. Now, you didn't just walk to your uh, Hebrew books don't want to go buy a copy of Isaiah somewhere. It wasn't, wasn't quite that readily available, but somehow he got a hold of one. And he was reading, the Bible says, in the book of Isaiah, the prophet, and chapter 53 is what he was reading, in fact. This man is reading, and along here comes, um, here comes Philip. Philip sees him. And that's exactly who the Lord wanted him to go talk to. I've got somebody for you to talk to, Philip. And he sees him on his chariot. He climbs up there with him. He says, you understand what you're reading? He said, how can I except some men guide me? 
And so he began to show him from the scripture who Jesus was, why he came. The, 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 the uh, Ethiopian eunuch gets saved. And then he said, now I'm saved. What hinders me from being baptized? Not a thing. Let's get down here in the water. You be- have you believed? Yes, I have. That's what I want to know. That's the question. Have you trusted Christ? Then you're ready for baptism. And so sure enough, he baptizes him, and they go on their way rejoicing. Just an awesome thing. In fact, it says in verse 39 that the Spirit of the Lord called away Philip. I would like to sing that. That would have been something to watch. Woo, there he goes. You know, that would have been something neat to see. Paul is a persecutor who's now turned preacher. In chapter 9, the Bible says that he's right in the midst of all his anger, in the midst of his um, quest to go and destroy all these, all these Christians. He's breathing out threats and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord especially. He wanted them, and he went to the high priest. He was getting this uh, permission for them to go anywhere. He was going to go to Damascus, everywhere he could to find anybody that's a believer. And then all of a sudden, verse 3, there's this bright light in the middle of the daytime. That would be a bright light. And it says, he fell to the earth. He heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? What did he mean? You're persecuting my people. When you persecute them, you persecute me. And then we come to find out later, Paul writes and says, we're of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones as part of the church. We are the body of Christ. So when someone persecutes a believer, they're persecuting Jesus Christ. I can imagine one day at the great white throne judgment when those who have persecuted and even martyred Christians over over the years that you know, they, they themselves never trusted Christ. When they stand before God, what they'll have to say. They'll have no excuse. You persecuted my people. And so there'll be, there will uh, be a lot to answer for. So here's Saul. He'd been doing all that. Now he becomes one. He's now a believer. He trusts Christ. He turns to, uh, into, to preaching himself. And then there's God sent a man his way to help him. A couple of them, actually. Um, the Bible says that he, was, he told him where he was to go. After he asked him that question, verse 6, what will you have me to do? And he sends him to, uh, down to a place in Jerusalem. I want you to go find this man named Ananias. Uh, and he finds him and he talks to him. And then a little bit later on, in verse 27, here comes a man named Barnabas. What a great guy. An encourager, an exhorter. Barnabas was just a blessing. And Barnabas took him under wing and he stood up for him with those apostles. That took some courage. Because those apostles, man, they had to be heated up when they saw this guy. He's been killing our people. Well, he's one of us now. Well, I'm having a hard time believing this. Imagine that. Thomas. I wonder what Thomas did, the doubter. I wonder, I just happened to think of that. What would he have done? You know, the doubter, how would he have been with him? Uh, then uh, Cornelius is converted in chapter 10. He's, he's an Italian man, and the gospel actually pretty soon begins to go up towards that direction, Italy. But he's, uh, he's, a, he's an Italian man that lives in Judea area, and he's converted. And then Peter sees this vision uh, of, uh, of this sheet that, she, sheet that comes down from heaven. It's got all these different animals on it that are unclean animals. And what God's doing is showing him Peter... Um, I'm, calling, I'm not calling these unclean anymore. That means two things. One is when Jesus died and was buried and rose again, the law was no longer in effect for them. If they trust Christ, they're not under that dietary law anymore. But the other thing that it meant was now, Peter, I'm going to go to the Gentiles. I'm going to get the gospel to the Gentiles because, see, Gentiles ate these unclean things uh, that Jews wouldn't eat. And so those two things he's showing him, the dietary laws, when you're saved, Peter, they're no longer in effect for you. But also I'm going to the, the Gentiles. 
So he goes in chapter 11, he goes to Antioch in Syria. And we'll come back to that in just a few moments. It's a very important verse there in chapter 11. And he goes, uh, goes there, and we'll find out that the headquarters of the church moves from Jerusalem to Antioch, Syria, north of Israel. Why? Because now the gospel's moving. And it's not just staying there in Jerusalem. The Lord told him, I want you to go everywhere. So the, the headquarters moves up north to Syria into Gentile territory. So they're leaving Jerusalem. They're leaving their, their, their Jewish and Israel background, their Jewish, or Jewish excuse me, um, surroundings, and going to a Gentile area. Chapter 12 begins with James being martyred. He's uh, put to death uh, in chapter 12, and uh, next on the list was going to be Peter. And so Herod had, um, had put James, the brother of John, to death uh, with a sword, it says in verse 2, and then he's ready to take Peter uh, and put him to death. But they wait till after celebrations and so forth, and um, he's, Peter's next on deck, but uh, the Lord has a way of doing it as he does. He delivers him out of it because he had a purpose for him. And so there was another jailbreak where Peter gets out by himself this time, and the Lord has something for him. Uh, chapter 13 is a notable change in the book of Acts because now, as we said a while ago, it's going to become predominantly Gentile from this point out. This is Paul's first missionary journey, chapter 13, about verse 4 to all the way through chapter 14. Uh, it's roughly about 46 to 48 A.D. Uh, is when he goes on this first journey. So this is 13 years after Jesus' resurrection and ascension back to heaven. Uh, so, you know, they've been in Jerusalem for a little while in Judea, but now after Saul gets converted, they begin to go on their first missionary journey. Then in chapter 15 is a very important chapter, um, just over halfway in the book of Acts. This is where they have, if you want to use the word, a council at Jerusalem. And this is where the, the uh, apostles meet together. And they come together to discuss and talk with um, the Jews. Some of those Jews actually were believers. Many of them were not believers. But there were those even that were believers that were saying, you know, these Gentiles, we're glad they're getting saved, but they need to come under the law with us and keep the law with us. In fact, um, it talks about in the first few verses of chapter 15, uh, let me read verse 1. Certain men which came down from Judea taught the brethren and said, Except you be circumcised after the manner of Moses, you cannot be saved. Well, that cuts out half your population right there. <laughs> I mean, you know, it would apply to women. So, you know, what, what are they going to do? So they're saying, except that they're circumcised, they can't be saved. So they're trying to bring them under the law. Real, genuine, if you want to use the word, this is genuine, real legalism. Because it's adding law to grace. And when you do that, not only do you nullify grace, but the law really doesn't do what it's supposed to do because the law wasn't grace. Uh, they're not the same. And so they're trying to add law. They're adding works to grace. And you can't do that because it's not grace. Paul writes about that letter in, Galatia, uh, letter in his letter to the later in his letter to the Galatians that uh, if it's, uh, you know, it's, you can't put the law back in it. And he says also in Romans, you know, if it's, if it's of, the, uh, of grace, then it's no more law. And so uh, th that whole council was to nail down that, the, the, that um, salvation is by grace through faith. And it's probably not much longer after this, uh, just within a few years, that Paul writes to, um, the, to the Galatians and puts that in his letter. Uh, 
So they, they, they clarify the gospel. You can't add anything to the gospel. It's grace. It's believing in Christ. They make that very clear as you read that chapter. Get to chapter, uh, later in chapter 15, Paul begins his second missionary journey, and that's roughly about 50 to 52 AD. And so Paul writes um, about that time at the end of that journey, uh, he traveled into Thessalonica, but he writes to them also um, in 1 Thessalonians about 52 AD and 2 Thessalonians about 53 AD on that second missionary journey. Uh, let's see, I, I missed that somehow. Actually, let's see. Oh, okay, it's there. I'll come back to it in just a moment. Um, I'm going the wrong way. Shouldn't do that, Barry. So um, he writes uh, those two letters, uh, one during and one immediately after the second missionary journey. Now we're back where we're supposed to be. Chapter 16, we meet Timothy. Timothy, uh, his mother was a Jewess that believed on Christ. His father was a Gentile who apparently didn't believe on Christ. And the scripture records about Timothy there in the early verses of chapter 16. And then later we learn more about Timothy in the letter that Paul writes, two letters Paul writes to him. And he commends him for his faith that was found in his mother and his grandmother. So apparently his mother and his mother's mother were believers, but his dad was not. And so um, they had taught him the scripture from the time he was very small. Uh, the, uh, he tells Timothy uh, they were a blessing to him because of that. Then a lady named Lydia is converted. In the book of Acts chapter 16, she was a seller of purple. She was one that the Lord was already dealing with her apparently. And then when Paul talked to her and gave her the gospel, she was ready to understand it. She was ready to believe and she gets saved. And then uh, we talked about a few moments ago, the Philippian jailer, what must I do to be saved? That's found after they're, um, they're beaten in chapter 16 for they cast a, Paul cast the evil spirit out of this little young uh, teenage girl. Uh, who was bringing money to those that, you know, they were using her for money because of the things she would foretell. And so um, when Paul cast that spirit out of her, there went their bank account. And so uh, they didn't like it, and he ends up uh, going into, uh, to, uh, he and Silas going to jail because of that. And then, of course, they're, 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 uh, they're, they're delivered, and God uses it in a miraculous way to, uh, the, to convert that jailer. Chapter 17, Paul is in Thessalonica. He had written those letters to them, and now he's there visiting. And then also in chapter 17, he goes to Athens, Greece. And he's at a place called, uh, when we see him there, called Mars Hill is called, and he's there um, with all uh, talking to a lot of these philosophers and those who studied philosophy of the old Greek philosophers before the time of Jesus and so forth. And... Um, We'll come to a verse about that in just a moment. But he's there with them on Mars Hill talking to them. i got to move quicker. Um, and there he witnesses to them. Few of them get saved. Chapter 18, uh, some of my favorite people are found there, Priscilla and Aquila, and then also Apollos. I preached about Apollos uh, a couple of months ago, how the Lord took him with what he had and, and taught him more, uh, more through Aquila and Priscilla. And he became very sharp in the Word. And then later on, next thing you find out in 1 Corinthians, he and Paul both are teachers together of the Word. What a blessing to see that in his life. Third missionary journey is in uh, towards the middle or end of 18 through 2117. This is a longer uh, recording of the of missionary journeys. And it goes from 54 to not exactly sure what year that ended. Um, it might have been about 58, as you see down there at the bottom when he wrote Romans. But Paul writes Galatians, some say, most say about 57 AD. I also think that he may have written Galatians about the time he wrote 1 Thessalonians. 
A lot of the writers say that it was a few years later, but, but the things that Paul writes in Galatians, it just seems to me like it was probably a little earlier, maybe not very long after that council at, uh, at Jerusalem, chapter 15, where they nailed down the gospel. But nevertheless, uh, most of them have him writing that about 57 A.D. 1 Corinthians, about the same time, 57 A.D., and then 2 Corinthians, 58 A.D. Now, when we go through the books of the Bible, I'll try to come back to this. I mean, the letters of Paul, I'll try to come back to this. 2 Corinthians, 58 A.D., and then Romans, roughly about the same time, 58 A.D., um, he writes Romans. And um, Lord willing, that's what we'll look at ne- next week. So that missionary journey lasts that long. He's arrested at Jerusalem in chapter uh, 21 through uh, 22. We see him arrested at Jerusalem there. That's roughly 57 to 60 A.D. And then most, most, most of the commentators believe that it was around this time and which would really be at the end down there, that um, Luke writes his gospel account. So he's in Caesarea for several chapters, 23 to 26. That's a long amount of time in there. And then he uh, sails to Rome, and there's that shipwreck he's in. And then uh, 27, 28, he's in Rome and uh, stands before um, the political leaders there in Rome. And then um, it ends, we'll see in just a moment, with him going, uh, living um, in a, apparently a rental house. Go with me to, in fact, let's go on there now. And then when we get to it, we'll just refer to it. Chapter 28, um, verse number 30. And Paul dwelt two whole years in his own hired house and received all that came in unto him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching those things concerning uh, which concern the Lord Jesus with all confidence, no man forbidding him. So for two years, Paul's basically in a place where he's living He's preaching and teaching, and everything's going great. But at some point, he's in prison in Rome. Um, uh, it, and um, that's, that's the first in prison. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm jumping ahead of myself. He's in prison twice. The first time he's imprisoned is in 28, 16 to 22. And then we see where he was in his house at the end of, the, uh, end of chapter 28. So earlier, during that time when he's imprisoned, Uh, During one year's course of time, he writes what we call the prison epistles. Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and the little one-chapter book of Philemon. He writes those while he's in prison during that course of a year. And you see references in those letters of him being in prison uh, for the gospel's sake. Anyway, so going back to where we were, where he's releasing, lives in his home. At some point, he's arrested again for however long a period of time, and he's in Rome and he's martyred about 68 A.D., which was probably the time that Luke was writing the gospel. Um, those are his missionary journeys, and I've, we've already looked at those, so I just I had them on a different slide. If you want to write them or take a picture of them, those are the just uh, putting them on one slide, seeing his missionary journeys. A um, couple other things I'm going to show you. A lot about, even though there's a lot about evangelism in Acts, there's a lot about Christian growth, too. Um, on the second missionary journey, when Paul goes on that journey with, with, uh, with, with um, well, he starts out with Silas, then he ends up, or excuse me, he starts out with Barnabas, then he goes with Silas. But he said, let's go into the, and see how the churches are doing. So on their second missionary journey, they're leading people to Christ, but they're also uh, trying to help the new believers. And it tells, he, he tells them, chapter 13, exhorts them to continue in the grace of God. So he's building up those who are believers. Chapter 14, verse 22, another similar thing where he tells them, continue in the faith, keep growing. You're saved, now keep growing. 
chapter 17, verse 11, he's in a place called uh, Berea, region called Berea. He meets believers there, and it says of those believers that they received the word and searched the scriptures daily. What a great group of disciples. They, they uh, were obedient to the word and searched it. Uh, and then chapter 18, verse 8, many believed and were baptized. And then chapter 18, verse 17, he, Paul helps those which believe through grace. So there's a lot also of uh, discipleship, Christian growth, as well as evangelism going on in the book of Acts. We tend to think of it as just like a missionary evangelism, and it is, but part of missions is also discipleship. Uh, he expanded the way of God more perfectly to a man named Apollos, or excuse me, Aquila and Priscilla did that. And the Word of God grew in chapter 19. Uh, doesn't mean that it expanded what it was written. It meant that he, it grew among the people in its influence. And then it talks about the Word in chapter 20, verse 32, that's able, uh, the Word of His grace which is able to build you up. Uh, first century church. Many years ago, you'd hear, you don't hear quite as much, but people say, let's go back to the first century church. We want to be like the first century church. Well, that's great, and we should desire their zeal and their boldness. We need that. But you also have to remember, they didn't have a completed Bible. We do, and they didn't. So there's some pluses to being here now. God has us here now for a reason, obviously. And uh, we should learn from the, new from the early church and want to be like them and have their zeal and their boldness and their excitement. But they didn't have a completed Bible. And we do. We have that blessing. Um, tune up. We looked at where Paul, Lord, what would thou have me to do? First mention in chapter 9, verse 31, is the first mention of the word churches, plural. And so um, churches are popping up now uh, where believers have been saved and, and, and uh, Paul, the persecution that Paul's doing is spreading them out. Now they're starting churches everywhere. And so it's the first mention of it. Uh, first mention of the word Christian is found in 11 verse 26. Christian is only found three times in the Bible, only three. And the first time the Bible says in eleven twenty-six that the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. Interesting, it was after they moved out of Jerusalem that they were actually called Christians, and that was at Antioch of Syria. Um, that's where they were called Christians. Uh, their headquarters moved into Antioch, chapter 13, verse 1, just a little bit after that. And then Saul's name changes to Paul in chapter 13 and verse number 9, and he's called Paul from there on out. Uh, the gospel moves east to west in chapter 16. Paul wants to go uh, to a region kind of to the east, and the Holy Spirit forbids him to go, and he sends, sees a, uh, sends a man. Paul sees a vision of a man and says, come over to Macedonia and help us. That's going north and west. So the gospel begins to move from east to west, just like history moves from east to west. And so it moved uh, that direction, and we got it when we got it. Uh, chapter 17, we looked at a little bit about, uh, just mentioned about the Greek philosophers and so forth, and those that study philosophy. Um, verse eight, Chapter 18, verse 28, showing by the scriptures that Jesus was indeed Christ. And so uh, Paul, or excuse me, uh, Apollos did that. He, he was, after he learned the word more clearly. Chapter 20, verse 35, we see the words of Jesus that's not included in the gospel accounts where Paul talks about what Jesus said uh, to some of the elders that he meets uh, that were elders from, um, from the region around Ephesus. And he told them, I'll, I won't be seeing you anymore. But he says, um, he says to remember the words uh, of Jesus that is more blessed to give than to receive. That's not included in the gospels, but Paul quotes it as something that Jesus said. And uh, chapter 24, verse 21 Believing the law and the prophets, Paul, um, you know, quoted the Old Testament because that's what they had to assure them of who, of who Jesus was.
Three places specifically where Jesus is referred to in the book of Acts. He's called the Holy One in chapter 2, verse 27. Jesus Christ of Nazareth in chapter 3, verse 6. And then he's called thy holy child or God's holy child, Jesus, in uh, chapter 4, verse 27, verse 30. Home address, good verses to memorize. Uh, You shall be my witnesses. Um, He told them uh, in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. Chapter 4, verse 12, there's none other name given to heaven whereby we must be saved. That's, of course, the name of Jesus. Chapter 5, verse 29, when they they were persecuted early on in the early church, um, they were told by the uh, religious leaders, you know, stop doing this, stop preaching this Jesus. They said we ought to obey God rather than men. We can't uh, help but speak the things that we've seen and heard. We ought to obey God rather than men. And then chapter 17, verse 11, where receive the word uh, with all gladness and search the scriptures daily. Okay, we made it through Romans somehow. It's a lot in, I mean, Acts somehow. We'll make it through Romans. All the way through Acts. Any questions or anything? Man, that's the longest I've ever gone. Yes, ma'am. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, well, they, they, it had to be the Old Testament, um, most likely, because I, even if, you know, Mark and some of them had written Gospels, they probably weren't, you know, pub, you know like, like, you know, print published yet. So it would have to be the Old Testament they searched. And... Then we see that verse I had a while ago where Paul's uh, witness, they're telling one of the political leaders. Anyway, it says that he, you know, from the law and the prophets. So he shows them from the Old Testament. So that's all they had to search. The and Gentiles didn't know anything about it. They had not read the Testament, right? The Gentiles, they had not read the Old Right. And so they were either converted Jews then or they were maybe some Gentiles that had gotten a hold of uh, maybe at a synagogue or something. It's where they may have gotten some copies. But somehow they had them, and maybe they were writing them themselves. I don't know. Maybe they were copying them, you know, off themselves to have, but they were able to search. And it could be that there was not many, and they just, you know, kind of had like to so many, like a family or a couple of families or something. But they searched what it said, you know, and, and were assured with it, kind of like with that Ethiopian eunuch. However, he got a hold of that. That's what he was doing. He was reading it, and then Philip helped him understand, so. Tell me, tell me when. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Anything else? Man, Acts is just loaded. <laughs> it's just so much stuff. Then that's besides taking the personalities and just, you know, talking about them and, and what they did. Just, just a lot in Acts. A lot. It's a very, um, very action-filled book. That's why it's called Acts. Acts of the Apostles and the early church. All right. Anything else? All right, let's stand and close in prayer and we'll dismiss. Thank you, Lord, for your word and what we learned in Acts tonight, Lord. What a, uh, what a great start the church had and even with the good things they did and the persecution that they went through is because they loved you and they served you and they, those apostles and many others saw firsthand a risen Savior. And because of that, they knew that it was real and that they had a message that was real. And because they had changed their lives, it could change the lives of others. And, uh, Lord, uh, we know that we live in a time where we can't see you uh, except for opening the pages of your word. We see you there, and we learn about you. And we thank you that we're assured in your word of our Savior, his finished work for us, and the, um, what he did for salvation. Then the work he gives to us as believers to uh, go into all the world, wherever we are, the world around us. And I thank you, Lord, for the... Um, 
what we learn from Acts. Help us to be encouraged by it um, in our lives and our, and our growth as, as believers. Pray that you'll keep us safe as we leave from here tonight. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.